right, go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 20. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20. I only get to say this uh, once a year. Uh, or rather, I can say this as often as I want, but to the congregation. Right. He is risen. Not all of you grew up in church. Let's do that again. He is risen. He is risen Amen. Today is Resurrection Sunday. On this day, nearly 2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus rose from the dead. This day was the first Lord's Day. And I think it's a great blessing from God that we can mark that day. This was the beginning of a new era. This was the first Lord's Day. That is amazing. What, what other religion can say, no, our religion is, is rooted in history. We know what day things happened on. What a blessing it is for us. This day changed the world forever. For on this day, our Lord was publicly vindicated and declared righteous by God because he is righteous. And the hope of every sinner who would ever be saved was made manifest in him when he burst forth from the grave. And this we declare in faith with no embarrassment or shame whatsoever. Let the world mock us. Let them say it is not possible. Let the infidel, atheist, and unbeliever rail all they want. We don't care. Why? For he is risen. God has done it. Our Lord is alive, and he is reigning over all. Our hope is in Christ. That's why we're here. Our only hope is in his sinless life in our place, his atoning death in our place, and his resurrection that secured our salvation and resurrection. But all of this hope that we, we confess is in Him alone, all of this hope is dashed to pieces if He was not raised from the dead. In our text this morning, the Apostle Paul blatantly states that our entire religion hangs upon the resurrection of Christ. The whole thing stands or falls with the resurrection. No resurrection, no Christianity. No living Lord Jesus, no salvation, no resurrection, no forgiveness of sins, no risen Christ, no hope for us. If Christ is not now alive, having ascended bodily into heaven, if he is not now alive and reigning, if he was not raised from the dead, our, then, then our entire religion, our faith, our lives, everything that we hold dear as believers is a complete sham and a waste of time. The apostle lays it all on the line in this passage, and I, I appreciate the honesty of the apostle here. He openly confesses that horrible things are true if Christ did not rise from the dead. Everything, and I mean everything, hinges on whether or not Christ is still dead or is risen. So this morning, what I'd like to do is walk through this text as I would ordinarily do. And in, and in doing so, I want us to soberly consider the horrors that belong to us if Christ is not raised from the dead. But praise be to God, I then want us to see how since, in fact, Jesus is risen, all of those dreadful things that we're going to consider are reversed. And because he is alive, the opposite of every terrible thing Paul says in this passage is actually true. So really, I, I hope to show you the blessings that belong to believers because Christ is risen. And my prayer is that we all leave here this morning rejoicing and glorying 
in our risen Lord. Now, a brief note before I continue, uh, I've got to say something for the sake of transparency and honesty. Um, plagiarism is a sin. But the sermon I'm about to preach is basically my version of a sermon that John Piper preached in 1991. Uh, so I just wanted you to know that I found his outline and his approach to this text very helpful. I want to give credit where it's due. So this is my version of his sermon, and I used his outline. But it shouldn't shock you too much that I use uh, something from John Piper because my first daughter is named after him. Uh, so there we go. With that said, if you would and are able, please stand now for the reading of the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve through 20. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Amen. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our triune God, thank you for another opportunity to sit at your feet and hear you speak through your word. We long to be instructed, enlivened, encouraged, corrected, strengthened, and comforted this morning. And so we ask that you, God of all grace, would be gracious to us and help us. Show the believing the blessings that belong to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if there are any unbelievers present, warn them of what curses belong to them unless they come to Christ in faith. Have mercy on each one of us and give us all what we need. And I, God, I believe what we need is a sight of the crucified, dead, and risen Lord. Work in us today by your word and spirit. Do your most holy will. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. So the apostles just laid it all out there for us in verses 12 through 19. Our religion is nonsense if the dead are not raised. For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And this tells us something about the context of this letter. Apparently, there were some in the church of Corinth who had begun to deny a future bodily resurrection of believers at the end of the age. There are still some fools today who deny this. And Paul is refuting that heresy, and it is a heresy, in this text. And his main point is that if there is no resurrection of the dead in general, then Christ can't have been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then there are some seriously dreadful consequences for the Christian religion and therefore for each Christian individually. Paul showing the Corinthians that the implications of denying the resurrection at the end of the age have a direct impact on the whole of our faith and future as Christians. So what I, what I want to do, this is the first heading of my sermon. I want to walk through the horrors, 
that are ours if Christ has not been raised. And so what belongs to us if Jesus remained dead? First, in verse 14, the apostle says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. All preaching about Christ, both the apostolic preaching and our preaching about him by relationship, is utterly in vain. What does that mean? It means it's empty. That's what vain means. It's meaningless. It's baseless. There's nothing to it. If Christ is still dead, then there is no good that preaching Christ can do for anyone. There is no salvation to be had in him. For a dead Savior is no Savior. Like, like think through this. What business do we have to stand before the world, to stand before governments, to stand before men and declare, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is reigning over all things and will return, as we confessed in the creed, to judge the living and the dead. What business do we have to say that if he is still dead himself? What good is it to declare that Christ can forgive you of your sins if he is still dead? What good is it to declare that Christ ever lives to intercede for his people if in fact he doesn't live? Our preaching would be in vain. And God would not be in the preaching for it would be a false preaching and God is no liar. There'd be no power in it for there is no true saving power in lies. Everything that we say would be founded upon a falsehood. And therefore, our preaching can do no real good for anyone. Again, I say the entire Christian message would be nonsense. And that's because you cannot disconnect any of our doctrine from the resurrection of Christ. The heart and soul of the Christian message is that Christ died as a substitute for sinners and then was raised from the dead for their justification. Raised as their surety. Raised as proof that his work on the cross to take away the sins of those who believe was effective. I'm not making that up either. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. But that is, and by the way, that's the summary of the gospel. That's false, though, if Christ is not raised. I appreciate Paul here. Truth matters, according to the apostle. And if Christian preaching is not true, it's worthless. And Christian preaching is not true if Christ is still in the grave. Second, in verses 14 through 17, this gets personal. We're told, if Christ has not been raised, one, your faith is in vain, verse 14. Verse 17, your faith is futile. Your faith in Christ, your belief in the Christian religion, your faith in the gospel, trusting that Christ has done enough to save you, that, that what we sing, what we, what we trust in, what we declare, all of this, believing the, um, the message of the apostles is empty, groundless, baseless. It's vain. To be blunt with you, your faith is worthless and stupid if he has not been raised from the dead. Reason with me for a moment. Uh, this, is, this is heavy. What will it profit you to believe in a dead man whom God condemned by hanging him on a tree? And yes, we, we confess God condemned him. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. If God cursed him at the cross, but did not raise him up on the third day, then Jesus died under the curse of God for himself. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. So if Jesus is still dead, then death must still have a claim on him. And if death still has a claim on him, then his own sins are why he died. If Jesus was a sinner and had to suffer the wrath of God for his own sins, then there is nothing good that's going to come to you from trusting in him. 
If he was not raised, he can't do anything for you because he was just as sinful as you are. And one sinner cannot save another sinner from their sins. Again, if Jesus is still dead, then he was a sinner. If Christ is not raised, then the gospel is a hoax and you believe a lie. Your faith is vain and futile if he is not risen. I can see some of your faces. You're not enjoying this. It's grim. It's grim. Third, verse 15, Paul tells us that if Christ has not been raised, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. Paul says we're liars. All the apostles are liars and we have no good reason to believe them. Particularly, they're lying about God and what he has done in Jesus if Jesus is still dead. More literally, you could put this verse, they were bearing false witness about God. They're they're claiming to speak on behalf of God, right? They're apostles. We've been sent by God. We are appointed messengers of Christ. But in fact, if Christ has not been raised, they are lying about what God has done. Brothers and sisters, that would be blasphemy. And, And what's worse, and catch this, this is going to be relevant later, they would have known whether or not they were telling the truth. Because, because they claim to be eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. The apostles then, if Christ is not raised, are the most evil, lying, deceptive, abominable, damnable men who have ever walked the earth. They are imposters of the highest order. Because they knew he wasn't raised, but they kept proclaiming that God raised him from the dead. And they will stand before God in their blasphemy and lies and be judged. Furthermore, let's make this personal for us, believing their preaching is damnable then. Why? Because you are believing, confessing, and propagating lies about God. You are attributing something to God that he has not done, namely raising Christ from the dead. Both the apostles and those who believe them, that's us, are carrying out lies in the name of God if Jesus was not raised from the dead. If his resurrection was supposed to be God's vindication of Jesus and Jesus was not raised, then the apostles are lying about who God says Jesus is. If Jesus is still dead, then God himself has spoken that Jesus is not his son. Jesus is not the Messiah who came to save sinners. But rather, if God left him dead... God would be saying that Jesus was a damnable heretic who died for his own sins. Fourth, in verse 7, Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. What a dreadful thought to consider. What a dreadful thought to consider. You're still in your sins if he's not alive. As I've said already, if Christ is still dead, then he died for his own sins like every other sinful man. And that means that his death can do nothing for you. There is no forgiveness of sins for you. There is no second Adam. There is no new covenant in his blood for the forgiveness of sins. His death did not save you or make atonement for you if he is still dead. And so you must still be dead in your sins before God and headed to hell because of them. The wages of sin must still be paid And you will have to pay them. The wrath of God still abides on those who believe in Christ. You are hopeless and guilty and damned in the eyes of God. 
if Christ has not been raised, then Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 1 gets reversed and would now read like this. There is therefore now nothing but condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Fifth, Paul tells us in verse 18, if Christ has not been raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who died trusting Christ to save them are lost. They're lost. They've perished in their sins. In the most ultimate sense, they are gone. They are damned. They died believing a lie about God and Christ, and so they died in their sins, and dying in their sins, they are now in hell. They did not enter heaven upon their deaths, and they will not be raised to eternal life in glorified bodies on the last day. Rather, there is no future hope for them of any kind. They are lost. Your parents, your grandparents, your friends who died in Christ are damned if Christ is not raised from the dead. Every single Christian you've ever heard of or or read about or met who has died has died deceived if Christ is not risen. Lastly, the apostle says in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ has not been raised, then our hope in him is only for this life, and that is no hope at all. I want you to think about this. All that you've suffered for Christ is worthless. All you've denied yourself, and every Christian must deny himself, all you've denied yourself, all you've endured as a Christian, all the mocking, all the pain for his sake, all of it has been for nothing. There is no reward in the life to come. This life is all you've got, and since you're still in your sins, hell is what comes later. There is no salvation for you, and so we are of all people most to be pitied. We've been fooled. We're wrong. We've wasted our lives to the highest degree. If our hope is only in this life, as Paul goes on to say, then let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But we haven't done that, have we? We haven't, we haven't obeyed, eat, drink, and be merry, but we've denied ourselves. We've been fooled. To paraphrase Matthew Henry, if Christ has not been raised, then it would be better to be anything but a Christian. We've been whistling in the dark, oblivious to the fact that we've believed and devoted our lives to a lie that only made life harder on us. Brothers and sisters, if Christ has not been raised, then these things belong to us. If Christ has not been raised, we are wasting our time here today, and I can think of a lot better things to do on Sunday. If Christ has not been raised, there is only dread and terror and horror for us. How awful it is. I have not enjoyed this first portion of the sermon. (laughs) How awful it is to consider a world where Christ is still in the grave. Now having seen that, look at verse 20. But, stop there, but, there's a contrast coming, a glorious, blessed contrast. All that has been said to this point is dreadful and terrible, but, says Paul, 
There's a glorious turnaround in this verse. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I love this verse. He says, in fact. Catch that. Hold on to that. This is something only our religion can say. But in fact, it is a fact that Christ has been raised from the dead. No more ifs, right? The apostle is done with ifs. No, no more. He, he, he's moved away from dreadful hypotheticals, right? If Christ has not been raised. He's like, I'm done with ifs. I'm moving on to revealed, attested to, historical fact. And that fact is this. Christ has been raised from the dead. God had promised in the Old Testament that his Christ, his Messiah, would come into the world, die, and be raised from the dead. Psalm 16, verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. That's the realm of the dead. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. That's about the Messiah. The Holy One would not remain dead. After prophesying the Messiah's death to take away the sin and guilt of God's people, Isaiah says this in Isaiah 53. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And the only way for the Messiah, who was crushed to death by the Lord... The only way for him to see his offspring, prolong his days, and be satisfied with his work is if he lives after dying. God had promised in the scriptures that the one he would send into the world to save sinners would die, but that he would rise from the dead. And here is the declaration of God himself concerning Jesus Christ. Here is what God himself has said Right, what he had recorded in his holy word concerning Christ. Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Praise God. And this is what God has said. This is what God has said. This is what He inspired by His Spirit to be recorded concerning His only begotten Son, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not here, but has risen. God has spoken in His Word, and God says that Christ is risen from the dead. Do you believe Him? More than this one place, though, God had it recorded in all four Gospels that Jesus is risen. The apostles, his apostles, saw the resurrected Christ and recorded what they saw. In John chapter 20 and 21, we read about how Jesus met with his disciples, how they touched him, how they ate with him, how they spoke with him after he was raised from the grave. He is alive, and the apostles are his witnesses. There were multiple appearances of Christ after his resurrection, particularly on the Lord's Day. 
The Word of God declares this to us. God Himself has spoken concerning the resurrection of His beloved Son. And the apostles themselves, not only in written word, but in proclaimed word, attested to what they had seen. In Acts chapter 2, verses 32 and 36, the apostle Peter, speaking on behalf of many, said this, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And then he goes on and says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He was crucified, died, and is risen, says the apostle. Christ's holy messengers declared what they had seen, and they had seen Christ alive after dying on the cross. Brothers and sisters, God has spoken in his word and through his apostles that Jesus is alive. What Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 is an absolute fact, for God has said it. But let's go further. I like this. Let's go further. We could rest our case there, but I don't have to, so I'm not going to. The, The apostles, who were formerly cowardly and terrified by men, are now found to be bold to declare the resurrection and lordship of Christ. Consider that for a moment. Men who were formerly hiding for fear of the Jews. What are they going to do to us because we followed Christ? Now stand openly in the streets of Jerusalem and everywhere else that they could get a hearing and proclaim, He is alive and He is your Lord and He will judge you if you do not repent. Where does that boldness come from? Knowing that they would be ostracized, imprisoned, beaten, poor, and killed for His sake, they still preach that Christ is risen, reigning, and Lord of all. Now how do you account for that boldness if Christ remained dead and they never saw Him alive? Why didn't they just give up? The Apostle Paul tells us boldly. And consider how bold of a claim this would have been in the first century. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, Then He, that is Jesus, appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. What does that mean? Go ask somebody if you don't believe me. There are 500 people he showed himself to after he was raised from the dead. Go find one of them. Ask them what they saw. That is a bold thing to say. Because that means it could be be verified. It could be verified. And most of them, again, were still alive when he wrote this. There were witnesses This was not done in a corner. Christ is risen. And there were many even beyond the apostles who could confirm this. Let's keep going. Miracles were performed in Jesus' name after his crucifixion. The book of Acts records these things. Now how could the dead be raised, the lame be made to walk, and other miracles be performed in the power of Jesus Christ if he was powerless and dead in the tomb? They couldn't. But they happened. So he is risen. Consider also the changed lives for those who came to believe on Christ. Right? C- consider how Christ changed Paul from an enemy of the church to the greatest preacher that the church ever saw. How does our faith so dramatically change people if there is no power in it? 
There would be no power in it if Christ is still dead. But there is power in our religion, so Christ is risen. Also, I want you to think about this for a second with Paul specifically, a man who had high status in the Jewish community, was wealthy, had Roman citizenship, was a Jew of Jews, again, like a rock star in the Jewish religious community. And what does he do? He becomes a Christian. Knowing that these people are hated both by the Gentiles and the Jews, because he used to, it was his job to persecute them, why would he give up everything that he has? The money, the, the fame that he had amongst the Jewish community, the respect that he had, his own Jewish family, I'm sure, who would disown him for becoming a Christian. Why would he give all of that up for nothing? He must have seen something. And all of this is not even to mention the fact that Christ's body was never produced by any who opposed Christianity. That is a historical fact. There's an empty tomb. That's all. All that the opponents of Christianity needed to do to destroy our religion was to produce the body of Jesus, which shouldn't have been that hard. You want to produce a dead body? Go to a graveyard. Dig them up. They're still there. This should have been easy for them, but they could never do it. They even guarded his tomb heavily with Jewish and or Roman soldiers who had to guard the tomb with their lives on pain of death. And yet his body was not there on the first Lord's Day morning. Why did they never produce his body? Well, they never produced it because it was raised and later ascended into heaven. He is alive. And consider this as well. I find this to be very powerful. It was very powerful to me in my conversion to Christ out of atheism. This is big for me. The apostles knew whether or not they were lying. They knew whether or not they were lying. They knew whether or not Jesus was actually alive or if they were making the whole thing up. And they were the only ones who would have known if they were lying. And yet, all of them lived in poverty, infamy, imprisonment, ostracism, and eventually suffered brutal deaths, except for John, for the message that they proclaimed about Christ. That he died, but was raised from the dead as Lord of all. None of them ever bent or broke. Not one of them ever recanted. And all they had to do to end their suffering was to admit that they were lying and stop preaching about Jesus. But they would not do it. Now, I know this. I know people well enough to know this. People don't die for a lie that they know is a lie. People don't die for a lie. Or rather, let me say this. People might die for a lie if they've been tricked. I could could die for something, and you, you tricked me into thinking it was true. That happens. But people don't die for what they know is false. Let me put some more caveats on that, actually. People might die for a lie that they know is false if it will gain them something in this life. Right? Like, someone might trade a life of wealth, pleasure, and ease for a horrible death in the end. Someone might do that. But what people won't do is suffer all their lives for a lie 
and then go on to an excruciating death for that lie when they know it's a lie the whole time that benefited nobody. No one does that. But again, brothers and sisters, none of the apostles ever changed their story. I wonder why that would be. The only reasonable answer is that they saw the risen Christ. And because they knew he lives, they knew that whatever they suffered in this life was nothing compared to what he would give them in the life to come. Hear me. He is risen from the dead. Again, I say with the apostle, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And this fact undoes all the horrors that the apostle considered in verses 12 through 19. Right? As, as I read this, like verses 12 through 19, you read it and it's like there's clouds and darkness and grime and dirt and filth and, and sadness all over them. I, I'm not just saying this. Uh, I could see it on some of your faces when I was preaching through them. You did not like what I was saying. And I did not like what I was saying. They're dark. But then you get to verse 20. And it's like light and cleansing water begin to flow from verse 20 up to the rest of the verses. And the negative words begin to rearrange themselves and they become positive statements for the one who believes. And everything becomes clean and bright and full of joy and hope for those who trust in Christ. So let's now consider the blessings that are ours because Christ has been raised. All of the negative hypotheticals in verses 12 through 19 are now changed into positive facts for the believer. The horrors are undone and blessings become ours. So let's consider them first. Since Christ is risen, you are no longer in your sins. You're just not. His resurrection from the dead was his vindication. God declared him righteous when he raised him from the dead. You ever consider that? His resurrection was his justification. Not justification as in like whenever we, though we are sinners, need to be justified and declared righteous in God's sight. But his resurrection was God declaring him that he is righteous because he is. His resurrection was his justification. His rather death had no legitimate claim upon him for he had no sin. And so death had to give him up. In his resurrection, God put his seal on Christ his claims, and his cross work. God declared Christ is righteous in his resurrection, and this means that his death was not for himself. His death was substitutionary. He, became, he who knew no sin became sin for us. That's why he died. That's what his resurrection declares. Oh, it was not for himself but it was for others. It was for others. His death was to satisfy the wrath of God that stood against us for our sins. And again, his resurrection was his justification. And that he is justified, that he is declared righteous by God, means that those who are in him by faith receive the same thing that he received. Justification. Since he was justified, so are you. All our sins are forgiven because Christ is raised from the dead. His death was for us. Our sins have been taken away. They have been paid for by him and his resurrection is the proof for us. You are not in your sins. Second, this leads us to the next blessing. 
Our faith in Christ is therefore not foolish, but well-founded. Romans 1.4 says this, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. How? By his resurrection from the dead. He is the Son of God. He is God incarnate. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is everything that he said that he is. How do I know that? Because he was raised. He was declared to be the Son of God in power. It was the vindication of Christ. He is the Son of God. So then I ask, to whom else will we go? Who else are you going to turn to? Who else is there for you to trust in? Who else can save you from your sins? Nobody. There is no other Savior. There is no other Savior. And that means that our faith in Him is not in vain, and it is not futile. It's not foolish, and it's not stupid. Our faith in Christ is founded in the very act and declaration of God in His resurrection. Let me ask you this. To what higher court are you going to appeal to? To what greater evidence could you appeal? God has put His amen upon Christ in the resurrection. I heard a preacher say this once. At the cross, at the end, Christ said, It is finished. And on the first Lord's day, God said, Amen. What other proof do you want? Your faith is not foolish. You are no fool for trusting in Christ, for He is risen. The third blessing for us is that the apostles' words are true. And our preaching about Christ is not in vain, but is life for sinners. The apostles were not lying about Christ. They were not lying when they preached As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I believe it's verse 3, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. They weren't lying. That is absolutely true. So since they are not liars, but are chosen messengers of the Lord Jesus Christ and the foundation of the church, we must listen to all that they said. Their preaching is not in vain. We're not dumb for believing them. Rather, by God's grace, we are the wisest people in all the world. For Jesus is risen and Lord. And this means then, catch this, your preaching of Christ, which is the preaching of the apostles, for it is the same message, is not in vain. You ever feel like that when you're trying to evangelize someone? Like, what's the point? It's not in vain. Rather, it is life for sinners. It is the only message of hope. It is the only message of reconciliation between God and sinful men. There is no hope for sinners outside of our preaching. And that's because it is only by hearing and receiving the word of God that sinners can receive the Christ who saves them. As the apostle says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's not a vain message. It's not foolish. So listen, we do not declare Christ in vain. In fact, our, de- our declaration of Christ and his gospel is the least vain, most important thing that we can possibly do. For it is the only hope for the world. And we are righteous, good, and kind to, do- to proclaim it to the lost. We are not preaching in vain. And we are not liars. Fourth, And this may sound strange to say this because we believe in humility as Christians. 
but we are to be envied by the world. Paul says, if Christ was not raised, then we are above all men most to be pitied. What does that mean then? Well, since Christ has been raised, they should not feel sorry for us. They should envy us. Why? Because our hope in Christ is not for this life only. It is for this life and the next. We have Christ now and we get him later as well. We are friends of God in Christ now and we have every blessing in Christ now. We have God as our father now. We have the comfort of the spirit in every affliction now. We have God now and then we get God more, so to speak, in the life to come when every barrier is removed and we see Christ face to face. We have him now and we have him then. Our hope is not only in this life. We should be envied by all. Not only that, but our lives are not in vain. The world will tell you with its secular worldview that your life is essentially worthless. That's what I used to believe. This life is all you got and then you die like a dog and nothing that you do actually matters because everything's an accident anyway. But no, your life is not in vain. It's full of purpose and meaning. What a glorious thing that it is to declare. My life is not a waste. I'm here for a reason. My life has meaning. Why does it have meaning? Because Christ is alive. And all that we do in his name, in faith and obedience to him, has eternal ramifications. This is why the apostle can go on to say in verse 58, it's all connected to the resurrection. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Why? Because he's alive and he'll reward it. And actually what you do for him is the only thing that matters. As Paul Washer said in a sermon recently, everything else in your life is going to burn except for what you did for Christ. And so our lives are not in vain. They matter because it's, it's done in service to the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. There is a world to come for those who love Christ and are faithful to the end. Again, I say our lives matter now. What we do will echo through eternity. And only we can say that. For we are the only ones who know Christ by faith. And he is alive. We should be envied by the unbeliever. And lastly, those who have died in Christ are alive and will be raised bodily. They have not perished. Those you know who have died in Christ have not perished. They died, I love this, they died in hope and have received what they hoped for. They received Christ and salvation in Him. Oh, hear me, everyone you've ever known who has died in Christ, they shut their eyes in death and opened them to the glorious face of the risen Savior. They are in heaven with Him now. Yes, their souls have departed their bodies, but their soul has went to be with Christ in splendor and glory. And one day, on the last day, their soul will be reunited with a resurrected and glorified body. They reign with Christ now in heaven. They live in glory and perfection now, and they will one day live on this restored earth in glorified bodies that will never grow weary or die. This is the hope of every Christian. And every Christian will receive it. 
What is true for those who have fallen asleep in Christ is true for every single one of us who have trusted in the crucified, dead, and risen Lord Jesus. We have hope for today. And we have even more hope for tomorrow. We have the forgiveness of sins, a well-founded faith, a true message to proclaim. We are the envy of the world, and we have a glorious life to come. Why? Because he lives. There is an empty tomb, and empty though it is, it fills our hearts to the brim. Because in the resurrected Christ, we have every blessing we could have ever hoped for. Or ever even dared to ask. But we have it because he's alive. So brothers and sisters, I say to you this morning, be glad and rejoice. Rejoice in him. All of these things are yours. Your Lord was dead, but behold, he is alive forevermore. So leave here today with joy and gladness in your hearts, for Jesus is alive. Amen. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that our, our faith is not in vain. We thank you that our Lord is risen. God, I pray that you would seal this reality to our hearts and give us joy and peace in the midst of the greatest difficulties of life. To know that we, we, we don't ignore this world, but that we're living for something greater because Christ is alive. Thank you for the hope that we have in him. We praise his name. Amen.